Manor. Hello, welcome to Tip Manor Podcast. It's episode four of the season. It's the Triple J attack. As per usual, it's me, James. We've got John. Hi, John. Hi, James. How are you, John? I'm actually a little bit nervous about this pod that we're about, we're about mm. to do, um, but it's uh, it's going to be a good chat. <sighs> yep. Uh, Jack, how are you doing? Very well. I've uh, prepared my multi-page dossier on KR in or KR out, so I look Ooh. forward to the discussion. Yeah. I, I too have four bullet points written down. <laughs> nice. Okay. Good. Um, we also did a poll because we're that way, you know, we're up with social media trends. We've done a poll, so we'll refer to that. I didn't really, I didn't actually check how many people had answered it in the end, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, right, what we're doing today, we, we haven't actually had so much of a gap between the last pod, so only two games to kind of run through a bit today. Uh, so Charlton and the Wickham games, obviously the takeovers happened since we last uh, did a pod, so we'll talk a bit about that and the changes in the boardroom. We'll get on to the KR discussion after we've kind of whistled through the recent matches because the Wickham game kind of ties into it quite nicely. Um, look at what's going on around League One. Um, preview Exeter. Are we previewing Exeter? I have some things to say about Exeter. We are previewing Exeter. Virtual nods. Um, we'll kind of look at the fixtures coming up as well. This is going to be a tough um, few weeks, I think, for Oxford, but it could make or break where we're going to be at with players coming back and such. But we wanted to start with some light news, um, but we're struggling. It doesn't look like anyone's <laughs> caught any fish or um, no one's sold chairs on eBay. Or I God, if I there was a time for Cam Brown to pull a giant fish out of the pond, <laughs> it would be now. If there was ever a time. I mean, I'm sure he's focusing on this game and all that stuff, but God, we need a big fish. Yeah. Um, John Massinho won Player of the Month, Jack. What does that say about where we're at? I don't know. I really don't know. I didn't even think he played that much. I think I just switched off to the fact he'd been in the side. Um, I've, well, yeah, I don't know. We, 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 well, it doesn't do a lot for Finley being player of the year, which, is, which was obviously my uh, my call at the start <laughs> of the season. Yeah. I mean, he looks lovely in a photo, does John Massinho, So, He's yeah, a very nice looking man, but... If, yeah. it, if that's the positive of it, then we're struggling a bit. The bloke that's presenting him with the award, I think I know him from my childhood. <laughs> Sounds strange. <laughs> but uh, maybe it's just from seeing him at games. If you're, if you're listening, please identify yourself because yeah, James please. would like to reconnect. <laughs> yeah. Probably sounds more dodgy, dodgy yeah. than, it, than it needs to be. Um, anyway, uh, take <laughs> Um, the takeover stuff was uh, kind of formally announced. So I found it weird, John, that Tiger had been with us for four and a half years, the first time we saw that twizzling yellow bow tie. But has it, has it gone quite quickly for you? Yeah, I th- definitely. I, I sort of thought similar, really. And he's he has brought a real stability to the to the place. And it kind of reminded me when he was talking about KR, he was saying how he, you know, he spent lots of time trying to find the right manager and KR was the one he sort of settled upon. And, you know, he's not been sort of brash and bold. He's kind of, I don't think he's overstepped the mark at all, actually. Um, but it's definitely, 
it's definitely a switch to a bigger feels like it's or maybe it's just the way it's been portrayed but a switch to a bigger playing field to use a bad analogy with this takeover no uh, yeah i've got you and their collective worth jack bakri and for here i mean it's quite so they've taken 51 percent. i thought they could afford probably a bit more than that but um what, what's it mean for you do you think obviously do you reckon the efl checks have been the thing that's delayed this or do you think it's more they're trying to get a business plan together or get a level of confidence in the stadium project or anything else? I think it's probably a few things. The suggestion was that there was a lot of share shuffling to be done to get it to 51% and you know Tiger wanted to stay with with a, a shareholding, Horst, Geiker, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I think it was probably quite a, a technical, I don't understand finance enough, but I think it's probably quite a technical maneuvering in, in all the numbers um, I don't think Covid will have helped I think you touched on Tiger being around for four four and a half years I don't think he would have probably expected to be around this long when he came in I think he's always been the kind of first step of this you know um, Far East takeover if you like so yeah um, I think John John's right it's definitely kind of another step up the ladder in, in seriousness of of the board and it, it looks like they've been gradually bringing along some of their old pals from previous projects. So Grant Ferguson, it's been around the club um, for a few months now, but he's been, so he's been in on the board since July um, and he was around the club a few months kind of prior to that as well. But he was on the board at Inter Milan uh, for three years uh, up to 2017 as well when Fahir was involved in the club. Um, so that's interesting. I don't know, John, if you've read any interviews or anything from Mr. Ferguson, but I mean, he's coming along with um, Tim Williams, who is the, what's he going to be now? The chief executive It comes with a bit kind of quite a good resume. We kind of seem to behind, you know, the backroom stuff, backroom stuff, boardroom level. It seems like we're in a, a good place. Well, we've, our Inter Milan pedigree is pretty, pretty <laughs> supreme. So I'm looking forward to the tie-up, um, get some of their relationships from back in the day there. Um, I mean, I haven't really... It's interesting actually thinking about that we haven't had a CEO at the club before and not as in with this recent setup. And actually, that is quite a... Heavy, that's Well, it's a very heavyweight senior role to, to come into it. So that's interesting itself. I thought Ferguson and, to, to be fair, Williams spoke pretty well interesting that they decoupled sort of the stadium and the championship officially at least anyway which was um which was interesting um i think thought here's the one that's slightly interests me more at the moment because he is the one that we have heard limited from but he's actually one of the significant players in this his wealth is enormous and i'm i'm you know welcome very welcome of this takeover but it is a bit weird, actually, when you think about it on the other side, that we now have seriously wealthy owners, probably, in theory, wealthier than a lot of other clubs, and they've given Not no indication. Most, like, championship and bottom-end Premier League clubs, really, yeah. on the face of it. It's a bizarre... Yeah, exactly. It's odd. But they, they seem to be clearly sending out a message that they kind of get football, and they're not just coming in. This isn't a play toy. They're going to just splash the cash out and they want to be in the Premier League in five years' time and they're just going to start bringing in, you know, mercenary-type players. So I'm reassured on that kind of front. But it is a bit bizarre to think that we are sat there with owners that are seriously 
seriously yeah. meant it. I, I was listening to the Guardian Football Weekly pod they did with, it was a special, they had Gary Neville on talking about um, all sorts of subjects, but they got on to talking about Salford and sustainability of football clubs and that type of thing. And one thing that Gary Neville was saying is that when like all clubs should understand where their limit is in terms of expenditure, and that's purely based on their incomings. And then when they get past that point of that's kind of self being self-sustainable, any spend beyond that, which could be wages, it could be um, yeah, based on contracts or it could be transfer fees, you get the owners to put in the money up front in a sense. So they never leave the club in a state where the club is taking on the debt if owners then just disappear and things like that. And straight away, I was just started thinking about Oxford because I was like, that does make a lot of sense. But who can kind of tell those people to act in that way? It has to be like a regulator. It has to be something else that's kind of managing how owners are acting with clubs so they don't leave us in like a berry situation because that could be the way it gets quite quickly right based on the how loaded those people are i don't know yeah i think it was it was the important point that that oxfox stress regularly and have from the start that any deal around the stadium or any has to sort of tie it to the club so it's all one entity yeah so that ultimately if something the wind changes direction the club comes as an entire completed um set of parts rather than something that can be split off and done between so that security is still important i'd like to know how the stadium ownership can be sorted out so it is so it's not just the club riddled with endless debt of paying back for the stadium i I can't quite you know with cassam at the moment he obviously owns the stadium rents it to us owns all the stuff that's around it and everything else but how would it yeah it's like transferring of the thing but then does the club then just owe that individual endless debt i'd be interested to see how it actually can work out or whether it's going to be explained to the fans so it's kind of black and white and makes makes sense to people i think it i think it sits with who's ultimately ends up being responsible for the debt that's where you get sort of yeah groups and then a company within that group can be carrying a lot of debt because ultimately the group guarantees it now how that works around saying that your stadium has still got to be part of this sub part of a group is is a different different story um just on the stadium so back backry said um he was obviously quizzed on it during the takeover he said in the agm people discussed it openly we're very clear in the 2026-27 season we have to be somewhere else so it's not a question of what and when but how working very closely with the county as we all know um talked about transparency talked about the fact that um performance on the pitch has to run in parallel with performance around the stadium project um and yeah uh, we want to have a stadium that's full of fans who are excited to see us and hopefully we'll be in a different league by then Jack, what do you reckon? Are you, are you feeling good about the whole thing? Um, are you a bit exhausted due to the time it's taken? What do you need to get kind of motivated about all of it again? Or are you feeling um, motivated? I'd like a nice pretty picture of a new stadium. Um, I think that's 26-27 <laughs> is three and a half seasons, isn't it? Which seems 
It's not that long, that. No, and I know planning applications, I'm sure there's work being done in the background, but until we get that kind of official release of the planning application has been submitted and this is the renders and this is what this will look like, and when you actually have the opportunity to view plans online, I think that's when it starts to become real. Um, having grown up in York and seen their new stadium take the best part of 20 years to be done because it just dragged on and on and councils got in the way and all the rest of it. Um, I'm very dubious to projects that suggest they're going to be completed quite quickly. So at the minute, you're kind of in this dead man's land where we know we want a stadium, we know we've identified a site, but we haven't publicly at least seen the this is what it's going to look like. We've we've seen very sketchy things. Oh, it might be having an arena with it and there'll be some shops. But that was kind of the initial announcement, I suppose. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. We're, we're stepping closer to that kind of... We have a more proactive, positive council space on it all. I mean, they're obviously not going to say and, and can't say yet because of planning applications and what that means that the club gives back for permission to build it and etc but they're certainly not in a we're minded to block this you know it's a neutral application you'd think they are else they wouldn't be have taken it this far relatively bought into it yeah I, I think as well if we were performing well this season I think there'd be a lot more comp- discussion and excitement about the fact the takeover was done and the stadium but actually it smells a little bit like the the, the period of time when the Kassam was being built and we were just about to move in when the club was um, only heading in one direction. But I don't, I don't think this is anywhere near that there, situation. There but is, no, there there is, is nothing a bit of a vibe about it at the moment. Yeah, I, there is nothing like having good news that people can feed off and a good space to make other things happen. Yeah. And that exactly. can gloss over a lot of flaws in things as well. It sounds like... Um, so. Grant Ferguson added to that thing about saying there's no other priorities for the club. They're twin pillars and move along independently of each other. And again, he's referring to performance on the pitch and the stadium project. So all of the board are saying the same things in those, in that regard. Um, Final thing, Mr. Mack, Niall McWilliams, ex uh, Charwell school teacher, substitute teacher. Uh, managing director since uh, December 2017. He's taken on the role as chief strategy officer and he's serving um, as the project project director for the stadium project as well. And he said that there's activity every day on on that project. So that's I think that's good, good news, hopefully. Again, as Jack said, I'm in a similar place where I'm quite simple and I just want a pretty picture with some 3D generated images with you know people kind of walking around and nice with some nice trees and stuff around and walkways and you know I'll be happy then um any other soft news come through before we move on to football any fish late night carp late night nothing sounds like All a horrendous right. takeaway <laughs> it does doesn't it or a tv program <laughs> yeah right um chart and away so this is the first time we managed to move back to kind of like a back four. So Elia Moore came back in alongside Finley, had Kieran Brown pushed into a left back and long right back. Jack, kind of like a more solid looking defence straight away when Moore comes back into it and a shape that needed to happen given we just didn't have the wing backs for playing the five. 
Yeah, solid looking, but also the glaring factor that you've got Kieran Brown stuck out at left back, um, which just, again, know. gets you onto this. He does a good enough job there, but he is not a, he's not an out-and-out left back that you want. And you just go back to the recruitment issue that we've got 10 games into the season and our what should have been our backup centre-back is now kind of first-choice left-back because the other one's inept. So... But he can take really long throw-ins that don't materialise to anything. Yeah, and I, I mean, we, weirdly, we have tightened up at the back this year, but it seems to have come at the cost of being able to score goals. Last year, we scored a lot and let in a lot. This year, we don't score and lose by one goal or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think that is what, part of the prob- part of the one of the problems that we've got ourselves into is that we have rightly probably looked and gone last season too many three twos. We need to go the other way. And it's limited the other side of it. So I think it is one of the things that's gone into the mix of this is something we need to try and work on and it hasn't quite quite back worked out and we're now stuck in stuck I'm not in I'm not sure I buy that like narrative. Because people have said that, but there's no way we've just compromised we've scored the fewest goals in the division because of a want to play more defensive. Do you know what I mean? Well, we, we start playing like, two two in front of the defence a lot more, which is very much about yeah. firming up a firming up a defence. Um, but I think you sh- it shouldn't that shouldn't ultimately take it away. It's basically about having saying right, we're going to have a very solid core, and then we're going to have three or four exciting players that can just be let off the leash. It's a bit more just so it shouldn't prevent you scoring at all. I suppose we played it, but we were having McGuane sitting on his own for quite a few games, weren't we, earlier on in the season? Yeah. I know I know what you mean. Um, anyway, we had Malta legend Jody Jones um, on the bench as well for this one, and Taylor as well. How many minutes did Jody Jones... Didn't he get an assist or something? Yeah, he played... He, prior to the Charlton match, he played more minutes for Malta than he had done for us. He did get an assist and actually played quite well, I think, in their second game against, I want to say, Israel. Israel, yeah. In fact, there was quite a lot of Oxford fans tracking what he was doing. Um, but yeah, still still yet to really get too, mu- too much game time for us. Um, we scored quite early on. More kind of a goal of in- individual brilliance, I feel, from Marcus Brown. Um, taking advantage of just a bit of space opening up. But great, great goal. Love a kiss, kiss of the badge as well, which is how we celebrated. Yeah, nice reaction. Nice. Um, the goal Charlton scored, though, was a bit of pinball, just couldn't get the ball out. Um, and the only other kind of points, it felt like we played all right in this game. Like, we definitely deserved a draw. Um, I sort of thought that I didn't think it was a massive improvement, but that is, I've heard a lot of people say it was one of our better away performances for a while. Um, I thought in the first half it was all right as an away performance, just about. But it, and in the second half, I think two, the two teams were like, "Hang on, if we want to get something from this, we're going to have to be a bit more expansive." And as a result, there was a lot more space, and we started to look a little bit better. But we were still pretty, pretty wasteful at times. And the other thing I didn't get from is what Lewis Bate as a number ten or or in that sort of higher up role as well. Yeah, that that continues to be a. A bit of a mystery but I didn't see I still saw a lot of the issues with the midfield with players getting forward into the box making themselves available for passes once 
Branning and McGuane still got into this bit where they just sort of dropped a bit, dropped a bit, leaving this huge gap in front of them that no one then moved into. So it was a lot better in the second half, but I didn't, I didn't see it as a massive progression. Was the only chance that everyone was talking about after the game was that Bowden one where he cut in, kind of sat a defender on his ass in a way, but it was on his weak foot, wasn't it? It was on his right. And then people were saying he could have passed, but I felt that was a little bit harsh. He just had to get the shot on target. I don't know, Jack, if you, you saw that back. Yeah, he, he did the hard bit, didn't he? And then it was just wild. It was just wild. I mean, I th- oh, yeah, I think the pass thing's a bit harsh. I think if you're, if you're a championship player, perhaps you, you pause or you've got a clue of what's going on next to you. But you, you'd still hope that a League One player would be less wild in the finish. Um, yeah, because it went a long way over the bar as well, didn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't just. It was. It was three points in rugby kind of height. That was it. And then they kind of had a counter, got pretty much clean through, but a bit on the right hand side. And then Eastwood came out well, got his angles right, and then made a made a good save. So all in all, it was it was probably a fair result. I think you're right about bait though, John. That doesn't that situation doesn't seem to be getting clearer in terms of what he's gonna what he's gonna offer to the side. Um was he was he injured at any point? Because he he wasn't in the the squad um against Wickham. Yeah, he went off against Chelsea in the twenty ones after a bad tackle. That was it, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He's had a game. what's it, an X ray, but they don't seem they said that it's not broken but they still need to check a couple of things, so who knows what that actually means. Yeah. Um, fair play to the Oxford fans that got to Charlton with all the train strikes and stuff going on. I still think we had over a thousand, didn't we? That got there, so that was good. Um, then obviously we move on to Wick. So all in all for that game, take a point away at Charlton. They had a decent height. I don't think they'd lost at home. No, they hadn't, no. Either, so decent. Going to the Wickham game, everyone's instantly kind of looking at the run of games we've had recently and thinking... They're in and around us. Their away record was pretty poor. I think four lost four in six, albeit they'd beaten um, Barnsley three nil, which kind of stood out um, away earlier in the season. Um, but they had played a game more as well and was still one point behind us. The thing about the sides that um, stood out was Joseph moving into some. Wasn't it described like he was in midfield and then. KR said, yes, Joseph's playing in the three in midfield, but then actually when the teams got out on the pitch, he was playing in more of like a 10. Yeah, he referred to him playing as to playing a lot as a 10 for Wigan and having a fair amount of success there. Um, it was a bizarre one, but it it does slightly stem to the, the point that that team out on the pitch and for the Charlton game, that first 11... Yeah, there's a couple of people. There's a little. There's the odd person missing, but it's not a bad team broadly. There's, there's. You can absolutely visualize that team performing well and winning games based on who's who's on the pitch, and that's what still still bugs me sort of deep down. Yeah, it it was apparent very early on that the game was going to be exactly how you had ex- you expected it to go. Um, and yeah, they've, as you say, they've they've still got quality in their side, albeit it's aging. Like Jacobson's still there. They had Sam Vokes, didn't they? Like they've got some good experience in the side. Um, Cambran steps up early on, 
for a penalty after good work from Marcus Brown to close down the keeper to win it. Um, has to wait around a bit of time. Jack, have you seen the pen? Good save, bad pen. Which way round do you think? Not the, not the greatest pen. Um, he didn't hit it like he normally hits his pens. But uh, to be fair, keeper made the save and he got back up again um, to stop the the oh, rebound. Yeah, it's it. a bit a bit like Eastwood save in the Chelsea game, to be honest. So yeah, it's just frustrating. It kind of summed up the season, didn't it? Brannigan's what scored like nine penalties in a row or something. It just it rather sums up how everything is at the minute. And yeah. obviously, the, the you know immediately the game was stopped, um, which you know. You, 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 you can't predict or anything like that. Um, I think it, that probably took any momentum that we'd got was kind of gone in two, two counts. You missed a penalty and the game stopped for a long time. Yeah. Uh, best wishes to that individual. Um, hope I haven't seen any news on that. I don't know if anything was reported. But don't know. Uh, I think the club said they were kind of stable as such. So... That sounds positive. Hopefully, it continues to be so. Cool. Um, so, Wickham, go, to, to be fair, their goal, Alfie Mawson. Did we talk a bit about Alfie Mawson in the last pod? I don't know. Maybe it was just general chat. He was one of them, wasn't he, that looked like a coop for Wickham, yeah, given he, he was meant to. Was he, where was he? Swansea? Did he go? Did he sign for Swansea or did he? was he meant to go somewhere else and cost loads of money? I forget which way round it all was, but. I saw he, um, he was playing. Wasn't he playing for them in the Premier League? Fulham. Fulham. I yeah, think he went to Fulham. He went to Swansea. Well, he went to Barnsley after his loan spell at Wickham, then Swansea, then Fulham. That was it. But he was destined for big things at the time, like lots of teams. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He, he went and played about 80 games in the Premier League, I think. So yeah. I'm um, not quite sure what's happened for him to end up back with Wickham. Well, if they saw his beautiful, deep cross that was drilled at head height. For their goal, then maybe maybe he's going to find his way back. It was class, to be fair, but it, they still had the the other centre back. I think was just still lingering around our box unmarked. <laughs> so, yes, amazing pass, but still, I don't know what was going on there. As soon as that went in, and I remember Jerome saying it on the on the the commentary, like, "Oh no, <laughs> like one nil down at home to Wickham has a very familiar kind of." feel to it and they are the team that you don't want to be in the situation against and that is exactly um what started happening just the game slowed right down uh, even and the referee to be fair was still adding on like six minutes of time for the first half and stuff like that but we it just couldn't do anything um and I, don't... I think i think you saw a bit why they are where they are because they did invite us onto them and we didn't have enough quality to create lots of clear-cut chances but you could see that if others did yeah then they would concede goals they they were a sort of completely highly drilled no space very kind of disciplined machine they were scrapping for their lives an awful lot and getting a bit of wickham luck or whatever you want to call it but that's that's they the would, thing though the they 29... were there for the taking whereas in previous seasons they haven't been there for the taking they've just comprehensively destroyed us even when we were in a better, better place than we were now. Yeah. I was struggling a bit with the whole, all the chat afterwards about 29 shots. We've had 29 shots and everything else and great possession. But I was like, well, when they're sat back and the, you've had five shots on target and of those shots on target, 
they've they've kind of two of them just dribble through to the keeper or something. I remember their keeper made one save from a Matty Taylor effort from outside the box. I don't really recall too much yeah, else. Yeah, and that was the one where he should have played Goodrum in, or it certainly appeared like he. Yeah, that was it. He should have done. The problem with the train line shots thing as well is that anything heading remotely towards goal gets classed as a shot these days. So that's, you know, any shot that gets blocked goes on the shot account, even though it was going to have no chance of going in. Although to that point, it is infuriating how many goals we seem to concede from range versus how many we score from range. Um, Yeah. So it's just, we haven't created... I don't think even this season we've created many clear-cut chances in any games, which comes on to the point of we scored nine goals, so it's not surprising. But the for whatever reason, the creativity is just null and void. And we've discussed it in kind of general chatter that our crossing is horrendous. Yeah, our final ball is generally horrendous, and it's just it's infuriating to watch because. We turn over the ball and against a team like Wickham, where you turn over the ball quite quickly, you get Marcus Brown kind of stretching his legs, and you fully expect nothing to come from it now because it's become almost a norm this season. That's the thing, isn't it? It just doesn't feel. Everyone was saying it afterwards, like, where's the actual creativity? Where's, again, any form of attacking play with a bit of identity? Because it was all just they were sat back, try and fight, like, kind of grind your way through them. But yeah, it was just a lack of a clear-cut chance, wasn't it? For a team, for they were literally sat back for fifty to sixty minutes of that game, I think. And you know, our, be- our best opportunities were where Brannigan was; the ball was coming out to him twenty-five yards out, and you just hope he's getting one of them on target, and it just wasn't his day. And you can't rely on that, can you? Like, don't know. Oh, uh, not picking, not picking on him, did really, but Marcus Brown has been fit. And available for quite a few games now, and he's just not—he's just not finding a way to make it happen. When doesn't he need the players around him though to like? Because he obviously scored against Charlton, but I'm just not sure. What do we think Marcus Brown's best position is in this side? Because I still don't know. Is it behind a striker? Is it as a striker? Is it wide? Is left, it I'd al- still left, allowing left him to drift? Left, I think it's left wing, and just um, either look to cut in as he did and produce that perler or it's go and hug the touchline and it's rotate and then go over to the right hand side and he's he's the one that tries to be the flair winger type and then if you have to balance it out on the other side with a Bowden or a Henry at the moment so be it. It's a real shame Bowden is where he's at isn't it? Do you not think that side on form like Bowden from last season when he was flying in the kind of in that number 10 role with Brown the other side of him and Henry for now the other side, then you're kind of feeling pretty happy with that lineup. I just think because he's taken such a turn, it's really impacted the the team as well. Um, I mean, I feel so sad about Bowden. Like, I just I loved him like last season. He's got that sort of slightly maverick Silky. quality. Yeah, and it's yeah. I think he's just in. I think he's lost in where he plays and what he does and. I think he's he's a classic, not not confidence. That's the thing with the KR chat as well. We'll get onto it though. How how he's ended up individual like players are players and they will have they'll go through bad patches. But I'm really surprised with him because he's kind of that 
Jack's not sure. I'm only not sure because his good spell came in a massive clump at the end of the season. Like his, his six goals and his four assists came in about 11 games or something. The 10 or so prior to that, he'd done very little. So it's not it's not like we haven't seen this version of him before. Yeah, but it was more... And the story was very career, silky. He's very the story silky. of his career in the past few seasons has been not playing games and not influencing games. Just so. think of the silk... Jack, you wrote yeah, but he got he got the silk. He got a new two year deal, and now he's doing naff all it. Yeah, well, I, think... I don't buy those conspiracy theories. Oh, he's got his deal. I know that's what you're not no, really no, saying. I know, but... I know it's a very easy link to make, but it's it, I'm, what I'm saying is we've seen this version of Bowden before. It's not an over overly a surprise to me. I, I I think for me it was that it took him a while to find his feet. He then found his feet, built the confidence, got all of the fan base on side. And you, I just thought that was it. Then, so long as he doesn't get injured, he's got, he's going to be, he's going to be having fairly consistent games and performances. Um, the other thing I mentioned it a bit earlier with Kieran Brown, but John, why? I, I, this is a three-pronged point. I'm probably going to do that thing where I ask a question and then answer it myself, and then you can't please, say please do because like three prongs is a lot. Hey, we haven't done jack shit from any of these throw-ins. Wickham are probably the team out of everyone in the league that are just going to eat. What did I say on the WhatsApp during the game is that they're just fucking eating that shit up for breakfast. And then we're slowing the, the game down ourselves. Like it's, it, it just seems like there was no reason why we should be going down to that level. And I don't, I don't, if we scored from a couple or caused a bit of chaos in the box every now and then, and or we do that towards the end of games, fair enough. But we don't want that to be part of like, our identity compared to recent seasons, do we? That we're just slowing games down and getting the Rory Delap towel on the ball and well, I don't know. And the other the other thing is that barring our two centre backs, our forward players aren't that big either. So from a long throw to have a proper target man, you basically need to bring the entire defence up and hope that someone gets on the end of it. It's not like we've got a, a six foot seven striker stood on the penalty spot waiting to bury a header. We've got you know, Matty Taylor's not the tallest anyway. Marcus Brown's not that tall. Joseph's taller. I don't know if yeah. he's on the pitch and like, he went off, didn't he? So it, we haven't got a target man, which is your kind of classic Wickham. If they do a long throw, they've got Sam Vokestad in the box, your classic target man. So, it, it, yeah, it, it just seems a very odd tactic for a side that is so much about possession and keeping the ball and to just ping the ball into the box and hope that, Something happens. Yeah, Save maybe maybe it's because neither of our fullbacks can cross. And maybe it's, I just found it particularly upsetting on Saturday that it just kept on happening. And every time we want to throw in, everyone's like, "Oh!" Like treating it like it's a corner. I was like, they, they literally won every header. It, it was nuts. Um, and as we said, their, their keeper just didn't really have to make a save. And I think for where where they're at in the league and their tactics, it was just. Um, I just did another job on us. I saw in the reaction afterwards, um, someone said we were Wickhamed by the poorest Wickham side that we've seen or played for years. And I agreed with that. I thought they offered very, very, very little and didn't have to because... But to be fair to them, they defended really well and yeah. did what they had to do. Um, and we just had no no answer to it. Um. It didn't feel like we'd had 29 shots or whatever, but to Jack's point, they're counting all sorts these days. Um, on that happy note, Carl Robinson. So, 
lots of the phone-ins at the moment after games uh, on Radio Oxford and everything else has, has been, I'd say, 80% towards the fact that Carl's maybe done his time and you get the odd person in defence. Um, we did a we did a poll and the, the final results after 287 votes were 47% um, KR in and 53 KR out. So still close. Um, top level before we get into the detail, where are people at? I'm I'm still KR in at the moment. Does, does it depend on what could be around the corner before you answer it? John, start with you. I'm still, yeah, I mean, I'm still KR in as of present day. Um, but I think it's, it's very close to starting to head towards getting a bit, not untenable, nothing that strong, but we are about to go into a brutal run of fixtures mm. after Exeter. And those could not only knock us out for the season, but they then make it pretty, pretty terminal. There is a counterfactual there that if we somehow got some results in those games, then that gives a momentum change and you kind of everything switches. And I can see a world where things do switch and we then have to think about, well, what's, what's the expectation for the season then? If, somehow we managed to get the team to flick a bit and we start to get to more of a win a few, lose one, draw one. Because I don't think the team's good enough because of many different issues to challenge for promotion, possibly or even playoffs, where we're at. I can't, for me, the bigger problem is that this season has always has a bit had a bit of an exam question of has KR taken us as far as he can to it? And that's not to discount what he's done for us, the genuine warmth for you know the good human being he is. Um, do you not find that's bit made it a bit harder? The, that's that's the what made yeah. That, do you not think the moment of truth documentary, and then also just well, I don't know. I, I've, it's, I, do, I don't think it. I don't. I think it does to a degree, but I think we all move on to the sort of fairly brutal thing about results are results and what's been before only it goes so far um yeah so i kind of what i feel my concern is i think that the damage to kr is possibly done whether it's results continue to decline and it's about imminently and he goes fairly soon or whether it's makes a decision at the end of the season i know he's still contracted for another year after that but it makes that sort of where are we at as a club at the end of the season if we muddle through for the rest of the season. Um, what I'm finding so hard to get my head around at the moment is how we just can't seem to get a tune out of a lot of still good players available. Some of the injuries are unfortunate and some players would make a difference. But I don't really see what the catalyst that comes back into this team beyond something in the management, something in the coaching That's to, bang to, on. to change yeah. it. That's exactly how I feel about it. Is and I know we, I think we did mention this in the last pod. Like, if is it just going to kickstart stuff when Murphy comes in, for example? But with that's the point. You've still got James Henry, Bowden, like we were saying. When you've got McGrain, McGrain and Brannigan are two of the best midfielders in the league. Like, there's, there's no the fact that they are still. You've got a midfield balance that we talked about in the last pod relentlessly. It's all over the place, not really happening. You've got that. 
you've obviously got the full the, the transfer window. You've got the fullbacks thing because what bugs me is that if we get all of the Murphys and alike back, that four we put out against Wickham is pro- is our best four in defence for the rest of the season, unless you get to January. But do you really get that high quality of fullbacks? And do you get two of them in January? No. So that's still a big problem. The whole Gorin mystery for me as well is, is another thing. So you've got, and also you've got some high expectations for this season that were set by some of the transfer window because we did change tack and bring in those more experienced names, so to speak. So we're seeing a lot of patterns recurring that we've seen before over countless seasons and reoccurring. Mm. But yeah, I don't see what's... This feels different to poor runs of form. That's why I sort of feel like there's a lot more of a... Why it's a little bit more potentially fatal. But I'm not saying you should go after Exeter or even after the game after that. Um, but that will firmly send the direction of travel if we get you know obliterated in the next three or four games because it because he even said it himself if he was a fan he'd be questioning results so i think that's that's kind of my 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 bullet points exhausted jack's been um adding notes to the magical notepad of truth i'm keen to know what's on there jack so I've kind of surprised myself in that in the last couple of weeks I've moved from being quite defensive of Carl Robinson to probably critical as a word now. So I think previously I had a lot of frustration about the weaknesses, the flaws that we've had as a as a Carl Robinson side for four and a half seasons. I think I've now moved beyond frustration to annoyance and that annoyance comes from the recruitment in summer in terms of not filling the squad cap based on positions we knew that we needed to strengthen in, i.e. both full-backs, defensive midfielder. There was question marks around the goalkeepers. I don't think we ever saw it turning out how it has with one going out on loan and a you know a, a, a randomer coming in, if you like. So the squad's disjointed. Um we've got to the point where effectively we're we're playing what can be seen as four centre-backs as our first choice back four because we haven't got those quality full-backs in. Yeah. Normally, we love to milk the loan market and have about six of them in the squad. For whatever reason this year, we didn't even fill the five that you're allowed. The kind of model signings, if you like, have disappeared. So you kind of go, we've had all this noise about increased budget, et cetera, et cetera. And it would appear to have been spewed away on your Murphys and Wildshuts, etc., who on paper are great signings, done it at levels above, shouldn't be in League One, etc., etc., etc. But if you're not seeing them on the pitch, it feels annoying. And yes, injuries happen, but I think the Murphy one could was avoidable. I I also think the Wildshut one was probably avoidable. You don't play him 45 minutes after he's landed in the country, kind of thing. So that that's that's another annoyance, if you like. And I was kind of scribbling down. I was just having all these things. I was going, "That's annoying. That's annoying. That's annoying. That's <laughs> that's not new. We've talked about that before last season." And I keep going back to the comments from the Blackpool playoff game where he said, "There's not enough power in our squad. We'll address that this summer." And here we are, two summers on, 
and I'm not sure he has addressed it. Um, so yeah, I, I've just written a, written at the bottom of my notes saying, "Is it better to end it now before it turns too toxic?" Interesting that you you sent some stats earlier, didn't you? As well in the in the last 19 games, we've won five of we and we only kept two clean sheets in all of those 19 games. Um, all of those five wins were by one goal, and three of them were the home wins. That MK Don Don's one nil. Uh, where was it Bowden, wasn't it? End of last season. Yeah, last year. That Cambridge 1-0 um, this season with the very kind of lucky um, Goodrum goal late on. That 2-1 win against Burton, which we just had to win. Hasselbank got sacked afterwards. You know, they were on a bad run. And then the the away wins were the 3-2 f- at Fleetwood, um, which feels like an age ago. That was when they came 3-0 quickly and then they came back and then that Cheltenham a 2-1 win, which again was a bit of a weird fixture in itself with the the free kick and the the pen from Brannigan. But it just, when you look at those games, even those wins, none of them were convincing wins, were they? Um, At all. Like the MK Dons one, to be fair, there's no point, is there, in stepping back through any of them. But the ones What's on on your notepad? What's on the James notepad? 16 points. Do you know what? Actually seeing the fact of those... Beyond, I think the MK Don's second half at the end of last season, I thought we did incredible to come back into that and, and get that result over the line. But the fact that those other, those three wins from this season were all edgy and just getting over the line and all of the other results, we've lost a lot of games by one goal, but we didn't really ever feel like we've deserved to, I mean, you could argue like, Against Wickham, we didn't des- didn't deserve to lose, but it's, I, I just can't. See, we're not playing well. Like there's nothing. <laughs> there's no. We're not playing well, and we don't really deserve much from the matches. So I, I understand why everyone's turning. In previous seasons, when we've not won games, we were moaning about the fact that all we did was have lots of possession, pass it from side to side, and occasionally sort of create the odd chances. That's not where we're at now, because we just. We're not really doing much of anything. Yeah, it's, I just it's, it's those it is, sort of contrasts that the injuries thing, Wildshut, Murphy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, they do give the whole team a completely different feel, like a different balance. And I think those two would probably be playing. You'd probably move Brown into the middle behind a Joseph or a Taylor type thing. Um. I do think the squad would look completely different. You'd say to your defense, like stay in in a line and don't move. Like just that's not our game. You're not we're not going to play progressive football from the back. You're going to rely on your midfield and the, the front four or something. But I just I, th- I think that's kind of where we sl- somewhat wanted to be was that it was kind of about saying you've got this ridiculous front line, let them go and you know do what they need to do and rely less on fullbacks bombing forward and all that sort of space. Um, this is yeah. what I mean. that it, Of course it would help having some of the players back in, but you wonder how much damage has been done to the team overall and their ability and confidence to play together, how much it, it can ultimately have. There is no reset moment. Yeah, when do you not blame... The, that, the thing I keep getting confused about, and I'm still KR in, is because... I completely empathise with how frustrating it must be for him and the, to not have those players at his disposal. 
that he doesn't, and this happens in football, it's a standard thing that happens in football, and you need to build a squad to to still be competitive and maintain a sense. You, you'd hope that you maintain that sense of identity and style, regardless of certain players not being there. But maybe that's too much to ask at this level, and it all goes out the window and you just completely lose the whole... I don't know. It just feels like it's, it's some of the individuals just aren't hitting the mark now either. And it, the buck does stop with him. Um, and I just, he doesn't help himself. The final thing I'll say is I don't think in the post-match interview, sometimes he helps himself when he talks about the players caring. Of course they need to care. Like you don't need to, you shouldn't even have to reference that in an interview. They care. They, they want to win. They try hard. Like all that same stuff. And it, I don't. I think it winds people up because he's not. You know, this conversation we're having now, and he says he wants to protect his players. He can still protect his players, but talk about the fact that the final ball's not there and the quality's just not good enough, or that we need to be more active in the market in general. There's just things that I think he could be saying that would tell a slightly different story rather than just constantly referring to the people caring and everything else, because he's just not answering any of the difficult questions with something that that's tangible at the moment it adds to the feeling of malaise by feeling like you're spotting patterns and trends of things going over again and that's so that exactly is a point well made of he doesn't need to show that he's kind of trying to reset it or do something slightly different and yeah we all know in football you protect your players and you say something different to them no one's trying to say go and Remap you don't keep saying you're protecting yeah. your players in every interview, do you? I'm protecting no. my players. By saying you're protecting your players means that you've got you want to dig in, but you're not going to say. <laughs> you don't. I'd never heard managers constantly refer to protecting players. You do it by taking on some of the stuff yourself. You take on the issues that the team's seeing at the moment. You take on some of the tactical, like this. You don't reference having thirty shots or whatever. And when everyone that's watched the game completely knows the situation of those 30 shots. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's kind of making fans seem a little bit dumb at the same time because everyone that's watched that game knows their keeper made one save and it was from a shot from 24 yards out or something. So don't reference the fact we've had 30 shots or something. I don't know. But I'm, that's the thing. I, I, I know that he can still, he, he, I, as we used to say with Eastwood, and the keep situation about being in credit. I still think KR's in, like, got a lot of credit left for me from what, what he's done, the foot, the style of football that we played and everything else. But I do think by, Jack, you were saying maybe by Christmas. I Well, I've I've come to the my own conclusion that I think the end of this month will be the tipping point or not. Because to John's point, the next few fixtures are quite frankly hell on paper. If we come out of them with anything less than seven points, that's probably season gone. Because I think we're nine points off the playoffs now. So you come out of, you know, up with Bakri and Thohia now fully in control, Do they are they happy to write off a season in October, November? And just say, okay, well, we'll leave him through to the summer and we'll all part ways in the summer. Or do you let someone new have a month before the window, give them a bit of cash in the window and just go for it gung-ho in the second half of the season. I mean, there's there's two unknowns now. There's, there's Ferguson Williams has unknowns to a degree. It's KR. And 
two degree chaos tigers appointment this is almost fresh this is a fresh opening to say well he's not our guy anymore so he's there's some pressure there um i just hope he's getting enough support and challenge from the people around him really because one thing i always took away from the moment of truth series and i know it's edited but part of me thought if you contrasted the two the worn the Rotherham setup, it was kind of like the three of them almost constantly as a bit of a sort of yeah. bouncing ideas and, and Warren was the leader, but you could tell that he was influenced and supported by the others. The Oxford side of it, and KR's a big character. You mean like Richie Baker? Was it Richie yeah, Baker? Yeah, Matt Henshaw and yeah. For Oxford, it was, it was all KR. Every now and again, there's a little bit of Craig Shaw or, or Massino, but they'd get over, overruled by what KR would say. And I just kind of think or hope that there's something around him challenging him enough. That, I think that's an interesting point because obviously Paul Warren's taken all three of his coaching staff from Rotherham to Derby with him. If KR walked into another job tomorrow, would he take Short, Blackmore, such Wayne Brown, whoever else with him? I, he probably wouldn't. And I don't know that that coaching staff, and obviously it's easy to do this when you're not performing well, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but you do look at that coaching staff and it's not the most inspiring group of people as a collective like you say it's very much KR and their kind of I mean it is really hard to, com- to comment on yeah, coaching staff because you yeah. don't know really what's going on I'm sorry in some ways it's a bit of a you know it's a very dotted line that I'm drawing out there but it struck me and when you listen to all of that it was like this is a one-man show this other one is a three-man kind of show and I just it, it just stuck with me as to something that may need to change i don't know i i do i still th- I, I get what you mean jack but i still we're never going to know how that group is a collective in oh no i know i know that i'm just we, we you know we we ended last season badly we started this one badly the the you, craig short is newer you'd thought there might be some newer ideas craig short and leon are newer to the first team environment but we don't yeah. seem to have got better with a slight difference in coaching staff. Yeah. Um, let's just hope it turns. I just, I, I think, um, I think you said it, John, but like these fixtures could turn, you know, they could end up being a blessing because you get some incredible, you get a win against one of those sides and suddenly you feel twice. Yeah, it can, it could flip, you know, like, yeah, it could flip things. Like, well, we know a we know a Carl Robinson Oxford side can suddenly pull a three nil thrashing of someone out the bag, and you suddenly feel excited again. Um, and I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be totally surprised if it happened. It just it feels the furthest away from turning than it has in previous years when we've yeah, had yeah, four yeah. I think runs. That's a that's a good way. I think that's why the, it's a good it way feels... to end it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think that's a good way to summarize it because yeah. I, I don't be, personally. If I had to put money on, so what? Sorry, what games did we say we've got? If we look at the fixtures, we've got Exeter that we'll preview in a sec, and then we've got Peterborough at home. Um, and I'll, say, I'll say it now whilst we're on it, but Clark Harris has uh, individually scored the same amount of goals as Oxford United um, after. What's it? 11, 12 games. So that's um, a stat in itself. Um, yeah, po- then Portsmouth away and then Bolton away. Uh, it's not... What, what do you reckon points-wise you need from from that? What do you think is realistic? 
Actually, don't don't say what you think what what we need. Just say what you think we'll get. So Exeter, Peterborough, Portsmouth, Bolton. Thing is, if I answer what I think, it basically spells the end. I don't <laughs> like, think it does, but necessarily spell. I think we'll get four points from that. Yeah, Peterborough, Pompey, Bolton. I feel like we'll get something at Exeter. Well, that's that's where that win is in my um, head. But they they're not doing badly, are they? <laughs> Jack, Jack's for anyone listening. Jack's gnawing on his because <laughs> he doesn't know how to break the news. Oh, I'm 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 thinking on a similar line to John. If if I say uh, I made the seven point reference previously, I'm just I'm just looking at the table and thinking if we only got three or four. That would put us to fifteen, which is currently what Port Vale have got in fourteenth. So you'd be sitting in four games time, saying we're still only as high as maximum as high we could be would be fourteenth. So it does feel terminal if there's not more than. We're not. Do you really think we get more than four points from those games? No, uh, I don't. But this is this is, this is my point. If I, I think if I don't think we do, therefore. I mean, the previous the, question is: I don't think it'll be at the end of October, based on how many points I think we're getting. Don't I mean the nature of what happens in those games also plays into it a little bit? Oh, massively! Um, if if not, there's a yeah. if there's a bad, if there's a, you know, if Peterborough yeah, suddenly I turned it on that. at home, it could be horrendous. But equally, as we've just said, we could equally suddenly come out and it, yeah, it just. I think the annoying thing is you've got another pizza trophy game stuck in the middle of it, which um, doesn't help the situation. Yeah. Um, Exeter won. Sorry, we'll get to the preview in a second. But um, it was nice to see Jay Stansfield, who's Adam's son, um, who also wore the number nine shirt, Exeter. He scored twice in, and they were his first league goals, actually, in a 2 0 away win at Barnsley. So that was a nice. Um, touch i saw paul vale beat derby uh derby were down to 10 men but still that was a a shock for the books a bit and then um anything else standing out to anyone it looks like um ipswich are still i think how did ipswich get on oh they beat morecambe away didn't they and then um plymouth is the surprise package isn't it Mm. i don't think many people predict i know they obviously had a good season last year but i don't think many predicted that they would be Flying as they are, first team to get double digits in the um, the wins column. Shrewsbury's uh, effective signings are paying off as well. Yeah, there's 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 the odd strange result every week though. Peterborough drawing at home to Burton, for example. Forest Green beating Bolton. There's if it, if to me it feels like the top two or three will probably pull away, and then from fourth to maybe 14th, 15th could just stay relatively tight. I, I think, think it's probably three three separate groups this year, much clearer groups than normal. Barnsley, it's weird that, yeah, after 12, 13 games, Plymouth are 11 points ahead of the team in fifth. Um, That's crazy, isn't it? Didn't Ipswich do this, though, a couple of seasons? Was it Ipswich? Someone was running away. Maybe it was Ipswich's first season or something. With Paul um, Lambert, they're miles away, and then they just got clawed completely back. Anyway, um, 
I think that's it. Well, no, we need to preview Exeter on Saturday. Um, so obviously coming off the back of that 2-0 win, Jack. Yeah, look at how they're getting on. Yeah, well, they still haven't, they haven't got a manager still since Taylor went to Rotherham, but didn't seem to affect them at the weekend. Um, they've got some interesting players scoring goals, actually. Like Giovanni Brown's got seven goals and five assists so far. He got released by Colchester in the summer. They picked him up on a free, so that's gone pretty well. And then they've got Sam Nom, who they signed from MK Dons, who's got four goals and four assists. And then you just mentioned Jay Stansfield. So I think they've got quite an exciting attacking lineup, and they've got quite a bit of experience across their squad as well. But I think to the last few years, probably more than that, have always played quite nice football. Um, I think their academy still brings quite a few yeah. few players through, and that's how they kind of survive because they haven't got the biggest support base. Um, but they, yeah, they must be delighted with their start because they're what they're eighth, eighth, two points off the playoffs. You know, scored twenty goals. Yeah, it's nice. Wow, it, that that's that about us being <laughs> the only team. Us and Morecambe, Morecambe being bottom of the league, the only team to have scored nine goals. And then the next closest is what? 11. Um, yeah. Have they had any other results of late beyond Barnsley to call out? Uh, they did. I think they lost. Yeah, they lost at home to Burton. So, again... Yeah. Talking Before, about odd results, they they go and win at Barnsley, but they lost at home to Burton. Yeah, they've won two, drawn one in the last um, three, but they'd lost the two before that. Yeah, a bit up and down, but um, yeah, it's not going to be easy, is it? It's the thing. They they come unbeaten in three, and off the back of that result, they're going to be full of confidence. Um, kind of think for us, it might be good to be away from home at a small ground as the way things are going so yeah no definitely maybe it's, maybe it's the right type of place for us okay i think we can stop there then lads everyone seems sad <laughs> reflective reflective um i still found it useful it's like a type of therapy isn't it really but um yeah obviously let's let's all hope things turn around I'm not going to be able to. I think I'm going to get to Bolton, subject to train strikes. But um, quite excited about that. I just hope by the time we go, we've had a positive result or two. Should we just rebrand uh, this whole pod as just a therapy pod? Yeah. <laughs> like we don't talk about matches or do any try and basic analysis. It's we're just pure therapy now. Just. Yeah. To... I'm not sure how therapeutic this really is to listen to. To be honest, though, we've just been. It's been quite a bit of moaning. Self medication. I'd like to think it's considered informed moaning at some level. Um, if you've made it this far, thanks very much for listening. We'll probably be back in... Um, what should we aim for, guys? We've got Exeter and then is... P- there's no Tuesday. Do you say there's a pain pot surprise somewhere in there? Yeah, after Exeter. Who Who's that? Is that the Sutton? That is, yeah. Oh, big game. We have a yeah, I mean, it could be a great two weeks. We could win a couple of games and qualify for the next round of the paint pot, and then we'll all be singing in the next pod. Yeah, <laughs> lovely stuff. All right, um, just over an hour. We'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. See you soon.